We're embarking on a journey. It's called Adu. It's a series about marriage, turning what Jesus did into what we do in marriage. And what Jesus did is Jesus reconciled us to the Father. He brought us into a relationship with the Father through his death on the cross. And what we're going to discover over the next couple of weeks is that everything about marriage is actually rooted in him, designed by God, perfected at the cross, and we as husbands and wives, the more we grow in our relationship with Jesus, the more we can take that and build it into our marriages. Now, some of you might be saying, ew, but I'm not married. Does that mean I miss church for the next couple of weeks? Definitely not. Don't miss church. Don't zone out and Facebook. Two reasons. Number one, because maybe... Maybe you're not married anymore. We uh, had our midweek service on Thursday like we always do. And, and uh, the predominance of the midweek service is we've got some amazing grannies and grandpas in, this, uh, in, the, in the life of the church. And we worked out amongst the grannies and grandpas, we had over 500 years of marriage experience. A couple of them married for 50 years, one of them married for 60 years. And I thought, what a tragedy for all of that marriage experience, some good, some bad, to go to the grave. When actually, we've got some young folk or people in marriage now who can learn from it. In fact, the Bible tells us in the book of Titus, chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children. Did you hear that? So older ladies... If you're no longer married, or maybe you still are married, but you're slightly more mature, your job is a pastoral one and a leadership one, and it's not my job to teach the younger ladies about marriage, it's your job. So don't think that you've ever uh, gone beyond, I don't need to learn anything more about marriage, because actually, you need to learn some of these things so you can teach some of these things to the younger. What about... Some of you, we've got students here, we've got people still at school, and, and you're not married yet. Is this for you? Absolutely. Don't wait until you're married to learn about marriage. Someone once said it like this. Listen carefully. Instead of waiting for the type of person you want to marry, start working on becoming the type of person that the type of person you want to marry wants to marry. Did you get that? Do you want me to say that again? Instead of waiting for the type of person you want to marry, start working on becoming the type of person that the type of person you want to marry wants to marry. In other words, don't wait. Learn now. Marriage that you see on TV is not real. They fall in love. They float into the sunset. And the last you ever see them is they're happy. Actually, then reality kicks in. And chemistry is not enough. Chemistry is a beautiful thing. It draws people together, but it's not enough. You need to learn to live a life of love. You need to learn what it means to be mature in love, to treat someone in a loving way. And so don't wait until you're married. Start now. So having said all of that, I'm going to launch today's journey with, uh, well, let me just say this. When Kate and I started dating, if you haven't met my lovely wife, you've just seen her introducing a whole new world. So when Kate and I started dating, and then we got engaged, and, uh, and then it went all the way to marriage, I had people come up to me and, and say some interesting things. They said, oh, Brent, you are so brave. I had uh, people come up to me and say, good luck, buddy. <laughs> so I knew, I knew, this is not going to be plain sailing. I knew there's going to be a little bit of turbulence along the way. 
I knew it's going to take a while before I can mold her and shape her and change her into that perfect wife. What I did not realize at the time was that most of the problem was me. And I remember on honeymoon, and you've dreamt of your honeymoon for years, halfway through the honeymoon we had a fight. Oh dear God. And I was wondering if if divorce is now inevitable. Because here I was on honeymoon, not knowing how to communicate, not knowing how to, to talk about what I'm feeling, not knowing how to actually connect at a deeper level so that I can share what's on my heart and listen and understand. And, and I realized that over the years that so many of the, the struggles, the wrestles that we've had, are, are they actually not really marriage issues? They're actually me issues taken out in marriage. Does that make sense? In fact, so many of the struggles and heartache that we have in marriage is not really a marriage problem. It's actually a you problem or a me problem that we then take out in a marriage. Does that make sense? So my title today is simply this, marriage problem or me problem. Are you letting your me problems become we problems? That's basically what we're talking about. Because surely the best place to start, and that's why this is relevant, not just to those who are married or getting married or once were married, but to every one of us, Lord, we want to learn to bring a whole me into any relationship. Because when I'm carrying my own insecurities, heartaches, all of that, when I'm taking that into a relationship, I'm carrying baggage that's going to burden the relationship. So let's get to the word of God. If you want to follow along on your device, on your Bible or up on the screen, Genesis chapter 2. Verses 15 to 25, right at the beginning, it says the Lord God took the man, put him to work in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But to Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he'd taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Man, I want to see by a show of hands, how many of you like spare ribs? Okay, that's why. You see, it's in the Bible. Now... In fact, I I don't like the way the Bible has translated this. In fact, every Bible, I think, generally speaks about God took a rib. But from an engineering perspective, it does not make sense to me. Because later on it says, for this reason. Now that word rib, it's uh, it's a Greek word, it means, or no, Hebrew word, sorry, it means cellar, whatever. But that word, 40 times it's used in the Bible, 10 times it's translated as sad. Nine times it's translated side rooms, four times it's translated sides, 
and then a whole bunch of others. Once it's translated rib, once it's translated ribs. So it's kind of, that doesn't make sense to me. Why only one, only the only time they ever use it as a rib is when they're talking about this. Every other time that word is used, it says they took a, I mean, it speaks about a side of something. And I'll tell you why engineering wise it makes sense. Because it says, for this reason, remember I said for this or that is why a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. I don't think it's a big enough reason because you're missing a spare rib. I mean, it's a spare rib. Come on. But if a whole side of you has been taken out, then it makes perfect sense that a man would leave his father and mother because there's a whole side of me that's not here. Secondly, it says, and the two become one flesh. Well, you're kind of 99.5% flesh anyway if you're only missing a spare rib. But if there's a whole side of you missing, then it would make sense that the two now become one flesh. If God took a whole side from Adam, made Eve, and it makes sense, number three, while wow, then opposites do really attract. And let's be honest, they do. If you're with your spouse right now, if you're an introvert, she's probably an extrovert or vice versa. You're logical, she's rational the other way around. And, and most times, you do go looking for the person that's because something's mi- a side of you is missing. It makes sense to my little engineering brain that it's not just a rib that was taken out, but a side that was taken out, and then God brought them together to form one flesh. So the big idea... That I want to catch two big ideas. There's number one, marriage is something that God has designed. God has ordained, and it's made to create, I mean, to glorify God. Someone, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who many of you I'm sure know well, wrote in his book, uh, Letters and Papers from Prison, he said this, marriage is more than your love for each other. It is a higher dignity and power for it is God's holy ordinance through which he wills to perpetuate the human race till the end of time. In your love, you see only your two selves in the world. But in marriage, you are a link in the chain of the generations, which God causes to come and to pass away to his glory and calls into his kingdom. In your love, you only see the heavenly of your own happiness. But in marriage, you are placed at a post of responsibility towards the world and mankind. Your love is your own private possession, but marriage is more than something personal. It is a status, an office, just as it is the crown, and not just the, merely the, rule to, the will to rule that makes the king. So it is marriage, and not merely your love for each other, that joins you together in the sight of God and man. Marriage is something God designed. Now, I know one of the things I love about Outlook Church is the diversity of cultures we have, and, and I've been to black weddings, white weddings, Indian weddings, Afrikaans weddings, and there's a diversity to the way we get married. Customs and traditions dictate how we get married, but not how we stay married. Because to stay married and to honor God, we have to go back to the Word of God, and if God invented marriage, we can go back to God and ask Him how and learn from Him. Which brings me to the second big idea that I want to be focusing on today. It says about Adam and Eve, both of them were naked and they felt no shame. That was God's design. Not necessarily that now we spend the rest of our lives walking around buck naked, nope. However, that word naked, it speaks about something of a vulnerability. They were not clothed, they were not covered, they were just open. And what we're going to discover over the next couple of weeks, that, that for, for a deep relationship to happen... 
We've got to be able to strip away the masks and the pretense and the hardness of heart and the bitterness of the past and the baggage. We've got to be able to strip that away because God's intent for marriage was two people who were naked. No cover-ups, hides, and masks. So they were naked and felt no shame. Shame is defined as a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of foolish or wrong behavior. And shame is what most people carry in the world. It's because of that shame we think of our past, we think of our humiliation, our behaviors, our mess-ups, and that causes us to close down, to hide. God's intent for marriage was two people naked who felt no shame. And so what, because I'm talking engineering today, bear with me, I want us to do and learn a little bit of marriage mathematics. So I need your A game now, because remember God said uh, he created marriage to multiply, so we're going to do some multiplication. So here's marriage maths number one, A game please, one times one equals. Okay, yeah, that's an easy one, we'll start easy, one times one equals, now that means very basically right there, that's God's design. One means someone who is whole, someone who's not hiding, but someone who is naked and feels no shame, that speaks about a wholeness. And if you've got someone who's whole and healthy emotionally in a relationship with God, and they get multiplied together with someone else who's whole and healthy in a relationship with God, the result is a marriage that is whole and healthy in relationship with God. Make sense? Of course, things went wrong in the garden. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 to 10, it says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and so I hid. See, the problem was now the baggage in their lives had opened their eyes to knowing good and evil. Up to then, all they knew was good, and they didn't even know it was good. It was just normal. It was normal to have this amazing relationship. It was normal to have fruit salad for breakfast, lunch, and dinner because it was amazing. It was quite normal to have lions and leopards walking around. And I don't know how it all worked, but it was just amazing. It was normal to have God come and walk with them in the cool of the day and be able to talk to him and ask questions. But all of a sudden, after eating of the fruit, now that it says the eyes were open, now they knew good and bad. They knew what it was to feel good and bad. They knew what it was to feel free, and now suddenly they know what it feels to be ashamed. They knew what it was to feel content, and now they know what it feels to be discontent. They know what it is to feel safe, and now they know what it feels to be exposed. Sin opens our eyes to feelings that God never wanted us to feel. Feelings of fear, shame, guilt, exposure. And our response is to hide from God, from one another, from our feelings. In other words, Adam and Eve were no longer ones. There was something missing inside of them. There was a brokenness. In fact, they're probably closer to a half. So if we do marriage maths number two, it gets more complicated now. Let's say one of you is healthy, whole, in relationship with God. He's dealt with the brokenness and we're living healed before Jesus. 
You marry someone who you absolutely love and adore, but they've never fully allowed Jesus in. They haven't allowed healing and wholeness to take place. So one now times a half equals half. So suddenly your marriage is half of what God meant it to be, not because it's actually a marriage problem, it's because there's a me problem. And because you're bringing brokenness into the marriage, the marriage is carrying brokenness. Gets worse. What if both of you, you get married, you fall in love, there's so much chemistry, it's amazing. In fact, I've had people come back to me a year later because I married them. It's like, Pastor, we want our money back. It's like, well, I didn't charge you anything, so how can you have your money back? No, like, we we don't want to be married anymore. It's like, why? Because we don't love each other anymore. It's like, what went wrong? It's because suddenly, as they've experienced what marriage really is, they realize the chemistry fades away. Now you've got to be mature enough to walk in love. But the problem is, if you've got a half, and you times it by another half, what do you get now? Now your maths is being tested. Some of you are like looking at your hubby or pulling out your calculator. But a half times a half equals a quarter. And that's the problem right there with so many marriages. It's not actually a marriage problem. You've got someone who's broken, trying to live intimately with someone else who's broken, and the result is the quarter of what God ever intended. Does that make sense? That's why if we're going to start off and lay a foundation, and this is why I'm speaking to, to people at school who are not married yet, and start now. Don't go into marriage as a half, hoping that marriage will fix you. No, marriage just exposes the real problems inside of us. So, it takes two holes to make a healthy marriage. I remember for, uh, for me what I discovered is... As Kate and I began our marriage journey, which is 27 years now, something, okay, something like it, what we discovered is, is I, I never realized how, how insecure I was. I mean, I thought I'm ready for marriage now. I've been a believer for like six, seven years or something. I love Jesus. But what, what I realized, I'm a people pleaser by default and by background. And so I'm coming into marriage thinking I'm going to be this great husband. I just want to lay down my life to, to see my wife. Pry. But what I began to do, because of my sense of insecurity, now I'm just pandering to her everything. It's like whatever you want just to keep you happy. And my wrestle is I, I, never, I, I was never exposed. My parents have been married 54 years, which is well done mom and dad. I know they watch every week. And, and as kids, we never even saw them fight. So I thought fights are like that's not part of marriage at all. I, and so I was... I didn't know how to conflict well. And so now, coming out of honeymoon into first year, second year of marriage, now, one, I'm deeply insecure, so I don't want to fight. I don't want to stand up to her. Plus, I don't want to conflict at all. And so what happens on the inside, you just begin to absorb and absorb and absorb. And slowly over time, that begins to be anger, but now you don't know how to express it. Some of you are, are exploders and you just get mad and you yell. Others like me would take it inward and you start few boiling on the inside. And now the, 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 the arguments are running in your mind and you're either going to get depressed, you're going to get frustrated, you can get resentful. But that's not actually a marriage problem. It was a me problem because I'd never learned to actually find my security in Jesus, have the courage to speak about things openly and communicate. Does that make sense? Me problems become we problems. Have a look quickly at what a half looks like. Look what happened to Adam and Eve. Said firstly, they became self-conscious. Up to that point, they didn't realize they were naked. They were just they, they were outward focused, God focused, other each other focused, and now all of a sudden they realize I'm naked. 
You notice how straight away they, they begin thinking about themselves. You see, that's what sin does. Sin is inherently selfishness, rebellious. It's what I want. And we carry in our hearts, unless our hearts are submitted to the Lordship of Jesus, we are inherently selfish. It's what I want all the time. My desires, my needs. Secondly, it says they covered themselves with fig leaves. The natural thing to do is to cover up any sense of vulnerability. They covered it with fig leaves. Different people cover their vulnerabilities in different ways. You could cover it with your personality quirks. You could cover it with uh, uh, sometimes trying to look successful with money, with fame, with this. But really what you're covering is the sense of inadequacy on the inside. You could be covering it with a compensating behavior. You could be trying to cover it with, uh, with alcohol, with drugs, with something, anything to stop people seeing the real me on the inside. For me, it was, uh, I tended towards uh, moralism. Is that a word? I don't know. When, when kind of, it's almost like a self-righteousness where, where you try and, for me, trying to cover that sense of insecurity on the inside, you project that I've got it all together on the outside. And suddenly it's almost like a condescending thing. It's like, I'm doing well, I've got this right, trying to put pressure on people around. Third way that uh, it manifested in their lives, it says they hid from the Lord. And as soon as you're feeling vulnerable and broken, the natural thing is to try and withdraw and hide. We, we heard that, uh, that prophetic word. And people hide behind hurt hearts or closed hearts. If you've been hurt before, sometimes there's like a survival instinct in your heart and you, you close your heart. I never want to be hurt like that again. But of course, if you never want to be hurt, it means you can never truly be loved either. We close our hearts. We distance ourselves from close relationships. We avoid intimacy. I began to reflect over my teenage years before I, was a, before I accepted Jesus as my Lord. I would try the dating thing, but I realized because of a sense of arrogance, you could get so close to someone, and as soon as someone crossed a certain threshold, close down the relationship. It was like a, a, a safety valve, an escape mechanism. I don't want anyone to see the real me on the inside. Let them see the projected kind of arrogant self, but not the real self on the inside. It says they were afraid. Fear now dictates their actions, and fear can lead to anger or depression. And of course, if you know how the encounter goes after this, God appears and begins to ask Adam, Adam, what happened? And it's like, God, this woman who you gave me, she made me eat the fruit. And uh, man, we've been doing that ever since. Ladies, you're not innocent either. Eve, is this what happened? Ah, it was the snake who made me. It's straight away, blame shift, blame shift, blame shift. Always looking for a justifiable reason why it's not actually your fault. It's in the Bible, it's in our hearts, and oftentimes comes out of our mouths as well. So the best thing that we can do for our marriages or marriage preparation is to move from a half to a whole. And that's really what I want to leave us with today. This is the challenge that I want to bring to us. If marriage math says it takes one multiplied by one to produce a one, a whole healthy marriage, the best thing that we could do is start individually, take responsibility and say, Lord... Am I one or a half? Now, all of us come to the Lord broken. All of us have had things happen. All of us have a sinful nature. All of us have a past. So really, the question is not, were you ever a half? Because all of us have been. The question is, are you letting Jesus heal on the inside? Are you allowing Jesus to restore and strengthen? So let me give you some practical things. Number one, it starts with the blood sacrifice of Jesus. 
It doesn't start with you trying to be a better spouse. It doesn't start with you trying harder, trying to be religious. It starts with what Jesus has done. And what Jesus has done is shed his blood to forgive our sins so that we, sinful men and women, can be reunited with the loving eternal Father. We change because of the love of the Father. We grow and are healed, not by trying harder, but because now, by the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done, means you and I, in our brokenness and shameness and guilt, we can have a relationship with the most incredible Father in the universe. And the closer that relationship, the more we healed and strengthened and made whole. It's because of what Jesus has done. It says in Genesis 3 verse 21, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. So think about this. Adam and Eve, they felt naked and exposed, so they took fig leaves, they made them, and they covered themselves, and God looked at them and he says, not good enough. Your attempts to cover up your shame and guilt and nakedness are never going to work. Let me show you what it's going to cost. Think with me now. Adam and Eve would never have seen death in their lives. No animals would have died. No one would have died. There was just no death. I mean, why die? Just God created something good. It would have just carried on living. But at that moment, God would have had to take one or two animals and he would have had to kill them in their sight, probably, to get their skins to now bring these blood-covered skins and cover the nakedness of Adam and Eve. I bet you Adam and Eve were horrified. But then I suppose God might have reminded them, I told you, if you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. Sin always brings death. The wages of sin is death. And horrified, they must have realized, sin means someone's blood is going to be shed. And right there in Genesis 3, the Father gave us the first picture of Jesus. The first picture that the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that's what he's going to do for you and I one day. And after the blood sacrifices came the sacrifice of sheep and bulls and all of these things. But no blood of sheep or goats could ever forgive your sin. No blood of sheep or goats could ever make you clean on the inside. All of that was a prophetic picture of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And when Jesus died on the cross, we were being clothed. That's why the Bible says, clothe yourself with Christ. Because only in Christ do we find our, our nakedness, our shame, our brokenness being covered by his blood. It says in Isaiah 1.18, prophetically, 500 years before Jesus, Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. In Hebrews 10.22, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Friends, it's faith in Jesus that starts the journey of healing. Jesus saves, Jesus forgives, Jesus heals, Jesus restores, Jesus leads us to victory. Friends, you're always going to struggle to let someone else in if you haven't truly let Jesus in first. You'll always struggle. Because of this, what happened to Adam happens to us. We got, got that feeling of, of ashamed, of hiding, of vulnerable. You'll never truly allow someone else in until you've truly let Jesus in. Does that make sense? When I marry people, I've only got one marriage sermon, but since my semi-adopted daughter's getting married in two months, I better prepare another one. But I always tell people, 
the very best husband you could be, and they're shiny and, and excited about their new marriage, is actually to be a husband who loves Jesus more than your new wife. Because the more you love Jesus, the more whole and healed you'll be able to be. Wifey, the best wife you could ever be is a wife that loves Jesus more than her husband. Because the more you love Jesus, the closer you are to Jesus, the more his healing, strength, power, life can heal you so that you can bring wholeness into the marriage. Number two. So number one, it starts with Jesus, the blood sacrifice of Jesus. Number two, deal with me. Before we deal with we, we've got to start by dealing with me. Jesus preached the same message wherever he went to the crowds. And remember his message, he said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. It's near. In other words, the nearer you are to Jesus, the more the kingdom of heaven can change you and shape you. Let me say that again. Remember I spoke about repentance a few weeks ago. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. In other words, the nearer you are to the king, the more the kingdom can come and change us and transform us. And we take steps of nearness towards Jesus through repentance, through trusting him enough, not our pragmatic old ways, our past, our custom, our culture. No, I'm trusting what you say, Jesus, and I'm going to step towards you. His kingdom is a kingdom of riches for the poor, of healing for the broken, freedom for the captive, light for those trapped in darkness, hope for the hopeless, justice for the wronged, and joy for the hurting. The best thing you could do for your marriage is bring a whole kingdom, me, into the equation. What does that mean? Let me just read a couple of practical steps. One, you could turn from holding your old identity of poverty, emptiness, worthlessness, brokenness, and desperation, and deeply receive the identity you inherit in Jesus, child of God, chosen by God, loved by God, valuable to God. You could turn over your broken heart, your hardened heart, your damaged heart, your arrogant heart, and choose to love Jesus with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. You can turn from your addiction to sin and bad habits and voluntarily make Jesus your Lord and righteousness your master. You choose to become a slave of God's word in loving obedience. Our hearts are always going to be enslaved. Either we're slaves to sin or we're slaves to righteousness. You choose which is your master. You can turn from darkness, secrets, hiding, and hidden things in your past and begin walking as a child of the light, confessing sin to God and others you trust, becoming open, transparent, and accountable. You called out of darkness into his wonderful light. Darkness should have no room in our lives. You turn from believing a world of negativity, pessimism, and hopelessness to staying so close to the good shepherd that his goodness and mercy follows after you. You can turn from holding on to injustice, unforgiveness, anger, and bitterness, and turn your grievances over to the God of vengeance and leave them with him and his justice. And lastly, you can turn from allowing the ashes of self-pity, the rags of depression, and the aroma of sadness to define you, and put on Jesus' crown of beauty, put on his garment of praise, put on his aroma of the oil of joy through worshiping him. I know those are, those are big statements. Jesus said, repent. The kingdom of heaven is near. So let me land. How are we going to move from a half to a whole? Start with the sacrifice of Jesus. Letting his blood be the garment that I wear that covers my shame and nakedness. 
Number two, letting him deal with me. I don't want to manage my sin and manage my brokenness while I love Jesus. I want to be saved out of sin and into healing and wholeness. But it takes some bold steps. And then thirdly, deal with we. Not just deal with me, but deal with we, especially for those of you who are married. Remember we did that little survey a couple of weeks ago when we advertised the series? And, and what is the biggest challenges? Over 50% of the challenge came down to this, communication. 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 That means most of us are bad at communicating with our spouse. Let's just, that's the way it is. So a big part of this journey, if we're going to grow, we're going to have to grow in our courage, boldness, and skill in communicating with those who are closest to us. Not just sharing shopping lists or who fetches the kids, but sharing about what's going on in the inside. It says in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15, it says, instead, speaking the truth in love. We will grow. Where does growth come from? Speaking the truth in love. You want your marriage to grow? Here's how it's going to happen. Not by listening to something on a Sunday, but listening and then turning it into speaking the truth in love. This is the big step forward. Pretty much everything else we cover over the next couple of weeks is going to come down to communicating through issues of, of roles in the marriage and, and love in the marriage and sex in the marriage and all of these awkward conversations. They're going to come down to our ability to communicate with the ones we love. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. So what we're going to do is each week I've asked the preachers to put together a couple of simple finish the sentence questions. The homework, married couples, is to set aside some time, a date night, a coffee date, somewhere along the line, doesn't have to be expensive, it needs to be a time where the two of you sit down and finish these sentences. Number one, I feel more like, uh, and now you've got to finish the sentence, a one or a half, because... And you've got to tell your spouse, this is how I feel because of this. And then give them a chance. Question number two, I find it easy, okay, difficult, or impossible to discuss vulnerable things because that's going to be a tough one. And then number three, I would like to become more emotionally whole and healthy and so intend to dot, dot, dot. That's your homework. We're going to send them to you. If you're not on one of the church WhatsApp groups, please, today, won't you ask at the info desk and they'll add you to one of those groups because uh, probably tomorrow we'll send them out to you and trust that you'll do your homework. If we don't learn to communicate well, we're never actually going to grow towards greater wholeness. And so if you forget everything else today, I want you to simply remember this. One times one equals one. That's what we've got to remember. If we want a marriage that is whole and healed and healthy, it starts with a whole and healed and healthy me. Two holes make a whole marriage. May God help us and give us courage. Men, we've got to start these conversations. Not your wife's job to set up a coffee date to talk through these things. Men, it's ours. Let's be bold, let's be courageous, and let's trust God for growth in marriage. Amen. Would you stand to your feet, please? And uh, if you are married, please will you take the hand of your spouse right now?
Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for marriage. Father, this is something you created, you ordained to show your glory to the world. And Father, we pray, we want to be a church, Lord, that that radiates your glory of healthy, healed marriages. Father, I know that right now, there's some marriages in this church that are on life support. There's some marriages that in every way are completely broken. They stay under the same roof, but actually hearts are already divorced. Father, we're trusting for marriage miracles over the next few weeks. Father, we're trusting for healing by the powerful name of Jesus. Your blood has paid the price and we're trusting, Lord, come and do miracles. Lord God, I pray, especially for the husbands, for myself and for the husbands right now, give us courage, Lord, to initiate, to start the conversations. Father, I pray that you would help us learn to communicate, to begin to express the things that are inside of us. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you that we know that you are with us because this is your will. Hold, healed, healthy marriages for the glory of God. Father, I pray for those not yet married. Father, I pray that you would prepare them now, that this would be a a time of learning and preparation so that when they do get married, they don't have to go through years of struggling, fighting, trying to find each other, but already they can go in running to the glory of God. Father, I pray for those who no longer married, that, Father, their wisdom and experience would not be lost to the grave, but you've called us to make disciples. Father, we want to see mature men and women discipling couples as they walk in marriage. And so, Father, we give you all the glory and honor and praise. Friends, maybe you here this morning. Spoke about the first step, and this is not just the first step in marriage, it's the first step to healing in every area is a step towards Jesus. Jesus has made a way for us to be united to God the Father. His love, His justice, His mercy, His kindness, His healing. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's the first step. And we would love to pray for you. If you need healing in any way and you've got faith for it today, we'd love to pray for you. We're going to be offering opportunities for couples as well. If you're stuck at a roadblock and need help, we're going to make a plan. We've got some people we're training to be able to sit with couples, to disciple them through marriage struggles as well. So, Father, thank you for this journey. We commit it into your hands. We say, let the marriages arise to the glory of God in Jesus' name.